You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs, with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew here and you're listening to the Music Growth Talks podcast. This is episode 111 and on this show you are going to learn who decides on what music is played when you walk into some of the world's most popular stores, cafes and restaurants and what impact it has both on retailers and musicians. From the music guru with over 25 years of experience in music programming, Danny Toner. Danny helped launch XM Satellite Radio and served as a programming executive there for decades and uh, he is now a global senior vice president of creative programming at the global media giant Mood Media which, by the way, acquired music, uh, the company that essentially invented background music. At Mood, uh, Danny and his team of over 65 curators designed custom playlists for huge retail brands with over 500,000 active client locations around the globe. Danny played a vital role in creating programs for the likes of Starbucks, MTV, VH1, United Airlines, Opera, as well as developing brand relationships for Bob Dylan, Quincy Jones, Tom Petty, B.B. King, and many, many more. I hope you're intrigued enough, so if you want to learn more from the man who oversees one of the world's biggest music networks, listen on. Just one more thing while I have your attention. If you want to support the podcast, please consider becoming my patron at just $1 per month at patreon.com forward slash andreapanov. You will get access to a bunch of perks uh, by doing so, including a patron-only secret podcast feed. And now, finally, the Music Growth Talks interview with Danny Tona. Hello, Danny. Uh, welcome to the Music Growth Talks podcast. Excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's, a, it's such a pleasure to be joining you. You know, I want to start with something that just came to my mind because we, we were chatting with you very briefly before I hit the record button, but I, I have this silly, weird question to you. You mentioned uh, a team of um, music designers working in, mm-hmm. uh, with you, and I, I was just curious. Actually, I've always been curious. What's the, the typical background of a uh, music curator or someone working uh, full-time to select music for sure. commercial use, for example? It's, uh, that, it's actually, I think it's a great question. I don't think it's a silly question at, at all because, you know, I don't think that, you know, many of us go to university to become a music programmer exactly. or a curator. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think there, there may be some, some courses that are out there available I think the single most important thing to me, Andrew, is that if I want to have a conversation with you about becoming a a curator or a music designer for me at Mood Media, you must be able to demonstrate that you have a multidimensional relationship with music. You must be able to demonstrate to me that you are capable of creating an emotional experience with music. So that means... You have to be a DJ, maybe with a residency. And and by the way, everybody that's on my team that falls into this category, you must be a, a, you know, a DJ that, you know, maybe has a regular residency or a regular booking at at, at several clubs. Certainly musicians, you know, for, for example, 
Today I'm working uh, in our Charlotte office and our team of music designers here in, in Charlotte are just as connected to the music industry as, as our folks globally. You know, for example, one of one of our music designers here in Charlotte, I believe he plays in six or seven different bands. So or, you know, a music producer. But generally, you must be able to demonstrate that you know how to create an experience with music. And, and, And the reason that that is so important is because with technology, everybody, Andrew, can become a playlister. Right. And it's really, really important to understand that. Anybody can pick great songs. We pick the right songs. And in order to be able to make that difference, you have to understand how music impacts you emotionally and how you use it to to weave an experience together. Yeah. So the job is quite creative. In my opinion, you have a team of artists uh, who know how to use uh, music to to, well, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but uh, uh, create environments and the emotional, yeah, I don't, don't even know how to call it emotional landscapes. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting how it's, it's a really cool combination of the uh, industry skills and uh, creativity. So quite a co- cool job here, uh, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what you uh, mentioned is, uh, is tightly related to what we are uh, hopefully going to, to cover on this uh, episode. And uh, I, I was just going to clarify with you. So there is these two types of music consumption, leaning and lean back, we could call it, or just more active and passive, usually when you mm-hmm. are you just bought an LP from your favorite band. You're listening to it in full, and it can be very active music consumption. These days, most of the music we listen to is more, it's done more passively, and this is what you deal with most of the time, right? So uh, creating, uh, picking the right music that people consume, not necessarily thinking about the music at that time. That's right. That's absolutely right. And there's there's... There's a uh, an amazing shift that we've seen in the marketplace over oh, maybe the past five or ten years about you know sort of that lean back or the passive listening and the the active engagement type uh, type type listening. And you're absolutely right with mood media. Maybe it's a it, maybe it's a good idea to just you know sort of explain overall yes, uh, what mood is and and how how this part of the market is so critically critically important. So. So Mood Media is the world's largest provider of in-store media experiences. Of course, driven by by sound, music, but also sites and social systems, uh, social media and, and systems as well. But on the music side alone, Andrew, our playlists are heard by over 150 million people a day in over 40 countries across Europe, North America, Central Europe, the far, I mean, we, we, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible global footprint. And when you think about it, the best way that I can describe it to you is in your daily activity. If you've heard music when you're out, whether it be at a retail shop or at a hotel, a restaurant, a, a bar, even a doctor's office or, or, or anywhere in a public space, chances are, it's probably mood media. And I have a team of 65 music designers based globally. So uh, in Europe, for example, uh, I have my creative headquarters in Barcelona, but also uh, we have uh, studios and designers in 
London, Amsterdam, and Paris uh, as well, and, and also in Hamburg. And then uh, additionally, in North America, we have music designers located in Austin, Charlotte, Miami, and San Diego. So it's a, it's a global scope and a global vision. And each and every one of these music designers are charged with realizing a brand experience with music. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's beyond oppressive, uh, to be honest. Uh, so the, you mentioned a few types of brands. So uh, who, who are your main clients? What types of brands? Is it retail? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sure you can understand we have we we have confidentiality agreements with with all of our clients and but uh we represent 850 of the world's top premier brands. So, we you know, we could we could start a list, but an hour and a half from now we'd still be going through that through that through that list. But then also, you know, virtually the entire gamut of of retail, of dining, of hospitality, and in hotels, and in bars, and 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 in shops. So so again, the the scope is is global. It's it's impressive, and it's interesting because when you start speaking with people about, let's call it the in store music experience, people are actually surprised by the scope and the breadth. I like to joke about it and say we're the largest music network. You've never heard of. I, I was I was about to say something about that because it's mind blowing. You uh, the, your your impact on the music industry even and in mm-hmm. uh, the music consumption and how the music is spread is massive. But then uh, it's interesting how um, people interact with that music because it it's uh, sometimes it may be happening unconsciously. But we we may get to that as well. Do you have uh, mm-hmm. any comments on the? importance of your work in is in the uh, context of uh, you providing a service to the brand so have you seen uh, a particular you know uh, increase in sales and so on how it affects because we we know here we've done some research on how music uh, um, affects um, dining experience for example and uh, it's it's just crazy how many uh, restaurants get it wrong and just pick their own music, which creates their own atmosphere, and uh, it badly affects the, uh, the just the sales, uh, customer retention, mm-hmm. and so on. So how how does music? I mean, I know it's a big topic, but can you mention a few words on how important music is for for these uh, for oh, brands? Yeah, most most certainly. I mean, there's there's absolutely no doubt at all that music actually has a positive impact on the retail experience. There are all sorts of studies. And in, and in fact, we, we chartered our own study that involved thousands of respondents, a study on the, the state of brick and mortar and the impact that in-store music has upon those experiences. And without getting too far into the numbers, there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that music can have a positive impact on the experience. Now, also, to your point that you made earlier, Andrew, the exact opposite can be true as well if you get it wrong. Yeah. So you mentioned in in, in a restaurant how that experience can be completely decimated and completely ruined if they get the music wrong. And it's it's really, really, truly interesting because people understand that, you know, right now uh, in the state of brick and mortar, we're we're fighting as much as we can 
against the, the, the onslaught of e-commerce and mobile commerce. So what is the role of brick and mortar locations going, going forward? Well, it's really basically simple. This, the, the state of brick and mortar is doing really, really well. As long as you understand, it's about creating amazing experiences. And so when we talk about the music doing that or helping that, it's really impactful and, and it's true, but with a little bit of a twist. And that twist is understanding the role that music plays in that environment. So what we do when we first sit down with a, a brand owner or a shopkeeper or somebody and we, we try and understand about creating a music experience in that shop or in that, in that restaurant, the very first thing that we want to understand is tell me about the brand. So what we do is we build our solutions from the brand outward and not from the music going in. Let me give you an example. If you operated a chain of hotels, and I'm sure, Andrew, they would be a very lovely chain of hotels, um, <laughs> and you and I were having a conversation about the music experience in your hotels, and you told me, you know, Danny, I really, really like Justin Timberlake. And I think Justin Timberlake should be part of my programming. Well, you know, the problem with that, Andrew, is for the next hour, you and I are going to be chasing Justin Timberlake instead of chasing the solution that's right for your brand. Right. So we start with your brand first. And then if we end up with Justin Timberlake, that's great. But more often than not, the wonderful thing about what we do is because we start with the brand, we are not attached to certain artists or genres or formats. So it gives us complete artistic freedom to choose whatever works, regardless of the genre, regardless of the format, and regardless of the musician. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us. Andrew, I don't program by the charts. I mean, certainly the charts are important and you want to use them as a compass and an indicator to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. But the great thing about what we do is that because we don't program only by the charts, we are able to incorporate so much more diverse, interesting, and unique music into our programming that normally does not get exposed on broadcast radio or in other means. So it's a wonderful opportunity, not only for us to stretch our wings, but a great opportunity for musicians to be heard where normally they may not normally be heard. Yeah, yeah. Is is uh, like listening to you, uh, considering your influence. Uh, I'm I'm really glad to hear that because uh, I can hear how indie musicians get the opportunity here. Uh, is there anything else to the, uh, the music from the charts and using music from? independent niche musicians so is it is the, uh, an experience of someone walking in a store and hearing uh, a song they're familiar with versus just a cool fitting song they don't know so is there anything to that at all that there is a, a, there are advantages to using indie unknown music or i'm just oh, making it I, up no no you're not making it up at all i think there's a i think there's a huge advantage i gotta tell you one of the things that excites me the most is when i'm in one of our locations and And I do it all the time. I, I sit back and I just sort of watch how people interact. And one of the things that makes me so exciting is when I see somebody take their smartphone 
and hold it up in the air as they try to shazam. I do it all the time. (laughs) Right? And listen, I mean, nobody is going to be doing that for a Taylor Swift song. I love Taylor Swift, right? But look, we, you know, we're we're all pretty much familiar with, with what Taylor has to offer. So when I see people positively engaging with the music and seeking it out and trying to understand what it is. So one of the things that I try and, and instill in our music designers is walking that fine balance between familiarity and discovery. And sometimes that familiarity doesn't necessarily need to be with a chart-topping hit. It could be another track by an artist that you're very, very familiar with, or increasingly more and more covers are becoming so increasingly popular. And a cover is a wonderful way to introduce a new artist but coming in with a known track. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's uh, it reminds of uh, of the situation with the sync uh, licensing uh, fields as well in some in some ways. But uh, yeah, I can see how um, how it all benefits the indie musician thanks to Shazam and the likes. When I walk in the store and I s- see that the curation is really well done, uh, I can I just turn on my uh, the listening mode on my Apple Watch and just uh, basically Shazam everything I can. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and this is uh, I mean yeah you can if you are into different kinds of music you can appreciate that for sure. This is. Uh, This is fascinating, and I'm uh, as since most of our listeners are indie musicians, and uh, they're very curious on how to get uh, their music into the stores. I just have to to ask you. I mean, uh, at some point of uh, our conversation, I had to do this. So, uh, <laughs> can, can you just mention how how it looks like exactly how you work with musicians uh, exactly, and how you discover new music? Sure. So you can imagine that with a with a, with a team of, of 65 music designers globally, it's almost a competitive landscape, right? As each one of them tries to tries to best the other in terms of musical discovery. And so we we turn over every rock and every stone and look around every corner to find everything. You know, the wonderful thing about music now and the wonderful thing about the digital age is There are very little secrets, right? Very, very few secrets that are out there. So you just need to know where to look where maybe other folks are not looking. But moreover, what I try and tell folks is, you know, when you're when you're trying to get a good read or a pulse on on what's happening, say, in in Barcelona or maybe in Philadelphia or Miami, make sure you check more than one touch point. Right. If you only go in and look at one touch point and you say, aha, this is what's happening in Barcelona. Oh, you know, you're really doing yourself a disservice because you're, you're, you're missing so many different things. So so there's many opportunities where to discover music. But then also I want to be clear, Andrew, there are opportunities to submit your music for discovery. So we have an entire submission process by which musicians can submit their material to us for consideration. Mm-hmm. And so we consider we you know we 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 go through there and it's a you know it's a it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to go through there and and go mining and 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 so many times you know we've we found things that were uh, you know that were that were undiscovered gems. So is uh, the mood, uh, media websites uh, the right place to go uh, for management companies and musicians, record labels? 
Certainly, certainly. You know, and then and then you know, also if you're if you're looking for more information, I can just throw you an email address. It's just submissions at moodmedia.com. Okay, good. Um we are linking to that in the show notes. I hope that uh, our um, musicians will be uh, mindful with how they make the submissions. This is something which we talk about a lot here, how to do it right, so someone actually ends up listening to to what you submit. Do you have any recommendation generally like you I can only imagine, I don't even want to know how many submissions you receive daily, but mm-hmm. uh, assuming that's a lot, uh, what's the most maybe common mistake artists make that prevents you from even willing to, uh, or your music uh, designers to listen to the, to the music? So what are the mistakes to avoid? So certainly licensing has to be in place. So please, you know, make sure that you've got everything in place so that your content can be properly licensed so that you can get paid. So, um, you know, one of the most important things, and I, and I stress this to musicians and it's, and it's amazing. It's amazing to me, Andrew, how many people don't realize this, but in North America alone, if you've not registered, if you've not signed up with sound exchange, you're doing yourself a massive, massive disservice. So please, I would urge, I would urge listeners to, to just ensure that they have registered in every place that they possibly can. Because in 2018, that digital reach reaches far beyond just your immediate neighborhood. And if you're not registered in certain areas or certain regions or certain territories, you may be missing out on an opportunity. So, so just my advice is please make sure you're signed up and registered in every area that you possibly can be. When you submit material, there's, you know, understand that there's going to be material that probably is going to have a tendency to work better in an in-store environment than material that does not. So, you know, for example, things that come off as being very, very aggressive, very dominant and sort of sort of minor chords, things Mm -hmm. that are very dark, things that are very sad or introspective. Nobody wants to hear that when they're shopping for a new pair of pants. So no Norwegian black death metal. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. There's Damn. a place. There is a place and a time for black death metal. However, when I'm sharing a sandwich with my mates, is probably not the time. Yeah, going back to the to to this uh, um, reminder that uh, the music needs to be picked properly for each location. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's good. And uh, that's great that the artists have the opportunity to submit music. I think it's really important. And uh, yeah, it's greatly appreciated. Great advice on uh, ensuring that um, the music is uh, registered everywhere. It's like uh, you you may not know when uh, your music broadcasts somewhere like you know, an exam satellite, some, <laughs> something. There you, go, yeah. you, you, you do need to be registered with Sound Exchange to collect all those royalties. So this is very important. I haven't asked anything about your past. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated about your background, but uh, really wanted to us to focus on, uh, on mood. Maybe, yeah, I don't have a very specific question here, but maybe you can just um, share a few, a few thoughts on how. Uh, your background as uh, uh, you know, as someone responsible for programming at XM back in the days, how it's mm-hmm. been affecting, uh, helping your uh, current position. Oh, sure, certainly, certainly. So, so prior to joining Mood Media, uh, I had the um, the the absolute pleasure of of being one of the founding executives of XM Satellite Radio. 
And, um, uh, you know, XM satellite radio launched in 2001. And it was really, really interesting because, um, well, first of all, Andrew, I'm sorry, prior to that, I had some experience with uh, a company called WorldSpace. And, and WorldSpace was, was, re- was really the first satellite radio broadcaster, except we, we programmed for the international markets. But it gave me some experience and some exposure that we turned around and used in North America for the launch of XM satellite radio. And, um, you know, essentially what, what we envisioned when we launched XM was a place for music lovers to go free of all of the baggage of terrestrial radio. So what we wanted to be able to offer was incredible choice and depth within each one of those choices. I mean, for example, it's, it's really disappointing when you, when you look at the North American radio landscape, broadcast radio landscape, in most major U.S. cities, there was not a jazz, blues, or classical program to be found. Right. And so we truly believed that if we build it, they will come. And many people, many, 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 many people said this will never work. This will never work because what we were doing, Andrew, is we were launching the first subscription music service. And as a result, we were told people will never pay for music. Imagine that. People will never pay for music. And my response would be usually I would hold up a bottle of water. And I would say, you know, there was once a time when people laughed and said, nobody will pay for this. But I believe, Andrew, that content matters and quality matters. And here we are now in 2018. And I think, oh, I don't know, 35, 40 million people would probably argue that, you know, yeah, people will pay for premium content. If you build it and you give people an option and an alternative, and that alternative is quality and premium content, people will always go towards the premium content. We even see that now. For example, last year, last year, the sale of vinyl records, the total revenue for vinyl records was more than the total revenue generated by ad-supported streaming radio. So what that tells me is people are willing to pay for a commercial-free, quality, premium experience. And I think that's one of the reasons why services like Spotify and services like Pandora and Deezer are doing so well. You know, it's, it's funny when you look at the history of streaming music and you look at Napster. The only reason that Napster originally succeeded and survived was because not because they were offering music for free and it was a place where oh you could go and and download whatever you wanted to it was just that they offered a place where you could go they offered a place where you could go and get this and since then they've been uh replaced with Pandora and Spotify and Deezer who have identified that if you give people a a a legal and well-rounded solution they will go to it Quality content matters. 
So anyway, when when we 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 launched XM and we we built that and realized that premium content matters and diversity matters, and doing 150 channels of this, by the way, it absolutely set up the the building blocks necessary to bring that experience to mood media, where again, there is nothing more important that I could say than content and quality matter. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. And uh, I can hear you really well here. So when and when you're talking about uh, streaming platforms, for example, the quality content when uh, pretty much the same content is available across all these platforms means, uh, uh, in in my opinion, the proper curation and programming, uh, be it through algorithms and personalization or just uh, proper high quality human curation because uh, a lot of the times, yes, those people who bought those vinyl records uh, did know what they wanted. Who knows how they discovered uh, those artists for because now it's uh, quite easy to buy vinyl directly from Spotify if you mm-hmm. if you discover someone there through uh, Discover Weekly or whatnot. But yeah, just uh, uh, the yeah we are uh, just as during the 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 times where radio was uh, dominant, uh, mm-hmm. you, it was all about the curation. We are in times where it's it's just as important. It's same for the background music we listen to when we walk into the store. <laughs> That's absolutely right. It's it's really interesting. You were you were um, you know talking about uh, lean back listening and. And how uh, lean back listening really is the the in-store environment. You know, one of the other things that we're also realizing now in general across the industry is the impact that portable speakers are now having on lean back listening experiences. Because now with the portability of decent sounding Bluetooth speakers and systems like that, you don't have to be as engaged with creating your own sort of music experience. So one of the things that that many of the curators of, of these experiences are, are realizing is, wow, what an amazing opportunity it is with these portable speakers and the lean back listening. Because what you're then able to do is you're able to begin programming by mood and by situation rather than specifically by genre and format. And what's interesting, and I know in, in my personal life, and maybe Andrew with, with you, when I when I sit down and I'm gonna listen to you know some music for a couple hours, I generally don't just listen to one genre or one format. I'm all over the place. It's a kaleidoscope of genres and formats, and, and that's what I love about lean back listening because you're programming to a mood or you're programming to an environment. So you're able to take all sorts of different ingredients to make, to sort of make that recipe. Whereas a lot of times in, in other situations, a lot of these listening experience can be almost monodirectional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's exciting times uh, here we live in because of uh, the new technology coming in also and affecting uh, uh uh, how we consume music, where we just uh, say, "Hey Alexa, just play me a, a good upbeat music," I don't know, or something more more specific, and then uh, we just don't even think about. It. We don't even need to click uh, with you know our mouse, or we you know go through uh, through the list of mm-hmm. playlists to choose from. It's uh, anyway, it's it's fascinating, and uh, 
Um, once again, what you do is uh, is quite amazing. Uh, to anyone interested to, to learn more about Mood, there are, there is the link in the show notes. And uh, are you active on any particular social uh, media platform? Uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the uh, that's the best place to find me. If you uh, you know if you'd like to reach out and and and, and say hello, I you know, love meeting love meeting new people, particularly producers and artists uh, around the world. So yeah, best best thing Andrew is to find me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Link into that as well. And uh, thank you for sharing your uh, journey and uh, so many insights uh, applicable to anyone in the industry, really. And uh, yeah, so if uh, there are any brands, any owners of uh, uh, retail store, uh, stores or restaurants or anything like that, you know what to do and which websites to check out as well. So yeah, thank you so much for all the good stuff that you've shared with us today. Oh, you're very, you're very, very welcome. It was a, uh, it was a pleasure, and I, uh, I had a good time speaking with you. Thank you. Thanks to Danny once again, and thank you all for listening. I hope that you found this show useful and uh, that it gave you some ideas on uh, on on potential ways to spread your music. Uh, so this really is a very interesting area to watch out for. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you have any feedback, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm I'm going to finally make uh, this podcast available on uh, other popular podcast pl- platforms, but you can already subscribe um, to it in any podcast app whatever you are using. If you haven't done that yet, please do. Uh, you can also drop a comment on uh, SoundCloud and uh, tweet me at MetaAndrew or send me an email uh, as a reply to the newsletter if you subscribe. If not, uh, please do consider subscribing at musicgrowthtalks.com and you can just email me at andrew at wispin.co. And uh, thank you uh, once again for all the ongoing support. If you uh, also want to access um, some special episodes available only to my patrons, consider becoming one at patreon.com forward slash andreapanov. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Till the next episodes of Music Growth Talks and have a good one. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanov. Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.